Hello and welcome to episode number 24 of The Heart of Teaching. I'm Nathan Rivers and today's episode is entitled, The Rugby Legend, Jamie Cudmore. If you haven't done so already, be sure to follow us on Instagram. The link to do so is available in the episode description. The Heart of Teaching proudly supports Mom Stop the Harm. Now, please, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome back to The Heart of Teaching. I'm Dave Ruzicki with my friend and producer, technical advisor, and student, Nathan Rivers. In this episode, I've got the good fortune of interviewing the Canadian and international rugby legend and author, Jamie Cudmore. Now, Jamie played in four World Cups for Canada and was the captain of the Canadian national rugby team. He played over 15 years of professional rugby in France and helped his club team win a national championship, which would probably be the equivalent of a Stanley Cup championship in North America. At the height of his career, he was considered to be one of the best rugby players that Canada had ever produced and one of the most feared tacklers. And at 6'5", 265 pounds, I, uh, I can understand why. Now, Jamie's written a book and uh, it's entitled Jamie Cudmore in the Sinbin and it can be purchased on Amazon. And he's with us today and he's going to talk about growing up and the challenges he faced as a teenager and the challenges he's faced at the end of his career related to concussions and head trauma and what he is currently doing to make the sport of rugby a safer game. So sit back and enjoy. Jamie, how are you today? I'm very good, Dave. Thank you. You know what? It's uh, you're, uh, I was talking to you off mic. And uh, hopefully the listeners will uh, look uh, look at some of the the articles that have been written about you. You're the real deal. Like this is a huge honor for me. So again, thanks a lot for doing this. And um, just gonna get right into it now. Where are you right now? And then we can talk about your career. But what are you currently up to? Um, so right now I'm uh, in uh, I'm in uh, Bear Mountain in Victoria, in the west coast of Canada, on Vancouver Island, and I'm. Currently, uh, my day-to-day is I'm the head coach for the Canadian Development Academy in rugby. And then in periods of international games, I'm the forwards coach for the Canadian national team with uh, Kingsley Jones, the head coach, and Rob Howley, uh, who's our attack coach. Wow. And you've had, you've had, quite, the, uh, you've had quite the career. You, is it 14 years you played in Europe, professional rugby? Uh, a, little, a little bit more, about 16 years uh, in Europe. Um, and then Southern Hemisphere before that, um, and then uh, locally uh, around Vancouver uh, and here on the island uh, before before that, uh, basically at the uh, start of my career. Wow. And so you played in France for how many years? Uh, I arrived in France in 2003, and I left uh, last year in 2019, so uh, I guess about 16, 17 years. So you were part of a you were part of the uh, the program that won quite a prestigious uh, award. The uh, was it 2010 the Shield? I'm not even going to try and pronounce the name. Is that correct? So that would be the uh, Bouclier de Brunus. That's basically the Stanley Cup or the Super Bowl or however you want to you know put it in North American terms for um, for rugby in France. So it's basically the French national uh, championship. 
we won the Bouclier, uh, funnily enough, after being in the final four years previously and losing every single year. Oh. Uh, sorry, three years previously, and then uh, finally winning it. It was, um, to give you the history, the club that I was involved with uh, at that time, ASM Clermont-Auvergne, had been uh, in the top flight uh, of rugby in France for a hundred years previously, and had never won the final. Um, and they'd been in 11 finals uh, previously again, uh, three of those that I'd already been involved with uh, from 2007, 2008, 2009. And in 2010, we finally won it. Um, and man, I can tell you, it was like a, a volcano exploding in, in Clermont, as it's a, uh, a volcanic region. Uh, it was uh, it was definitely like the volcano had erupted, and uh, the whole town was uh, in absolute fanfare and joy for uh, the party. Uh, probably probably went for about a week, week and a half. <laughs> so that would be that'd be quite the uh, that'd be quite the event then for sure. What? When you were playing over there, what was uh, what was the, the lifestyle like for you? I mean, were you basically like you'd be like a, a superstar over there, if I'm not mistaken, right in France? Um, yes, there's there's a, there's a huge amount of notoriety with uh, with rugby. Um, definitely in the southern part of France, rugby is is, is the main sport. Um, soccer or football, as, as it's known in, in Europe, is uh, is obviously very popular, but more so in the uh, in the kind of the, the greater metropolitan cities. So you know the Marseille, Lyon, Paris, a little bit in uh, Bordeaux and Toulouse. But um, you know, as I said, any anything kind of south of Lyon, uh, it's it's very very rugby uh, centered, and um, you know you've got rugby on TV every weekend, and uh, we were regularly playing. Uh, you know, a regular club game would get anywhere from 15 to 20,000 people, and then even bigger games uh, that would be uh, delocalized into uh, local soccer stadiums. Uh, we'd play in front of anywhere from 40 to 75, 80,000 people uh, just for a club game, um, which was uh, very, very exciting. Wow, those numbers are huge. They're staggering. Like it, that's uh, that's big time. That's big time attendance for sure. Yeah. So. When you were over there and your career ended, um, I was doing some research. So you coached? Was that uh, was that that was during your career as well? Like, were you a playing coach and then just a, a formal coach near the end of your career? How did that work? Yeah, so I've uh, I've coached throughout my career, uh, even uh, playing club rugby with uh, the Capilanos in North Vancouver. Um, I coached high school rugby uh, on the on the North Shore. Uh, I then uh, moved down to New Zealand and uh, played club rugby down there and while I was working uh, and then playing rugby on the weekends. Uh, Sunday morning I used to run out and, uh, and coach the mini rugbies. So it was, uh, it was pretty fun. You'd have all the kids running out anywhere from 6 to 8 to, to 10 years old and they're, uh, they're running around at bare feet on a Sunday morning playing rugby and uh, I really enjoyed that. And then uh, into my professional career uh, I always helped out with local clubs um, around uh, the regions that I was living and then uh, I really got into it seriously in my time with Clermont where I coached uh, the cadets team uh, as part of our academy so the cadets are under 16s yes. and then the following year and for the five years after that I coached our Esplaz team which is uh, kind of the final stage of the academy those guys are kind of 18 to 22, 23 um, and we did very well. We were in, in five years, we won three French championships. Wow. Um, so we had, a, we had a great team, and, and I was thoroughly uh, enjoying my coaching, uh, you know, doing more coaching at that time. Um, and as I was kind of getting towards the end of my career, um, 
I, uh, I signed on with a team called Oyana in the east of France, um, just outside of Lyon, almost in Switzerland, uh, where I signed a contract to um, finish my career as a, as a player, player coach, uh, and then moved into full-time coaching, which uh, was, uh, was um, kind of uh, the, st- the bottom of the ladder, as it were, for kind of where I'm at now. Right. Um, you know, as a player, you start start off young, and and you're at the bottom of that ladder, and you got to climb up through hard work and through perseverance, and you know, getting to a level that you know as that, that could be your highest. And I and I think I managed to do that as a player. Yes. And now I'm uh, I'm back. Uh, you know, I've I've gone up a couple rungs since I've started coaching, but I, I'm still very much uh, you know in the in the newer uh, kind of era of a, of, a, of a coach, and um, you know, I'm. I'm Doing this again, I'm climbing up that ladder to build my my coaching uh, repertoire and uh, you know my connections through that and uh, and working with different uh, professional teams and, and international teams now. So it's uh, it's a great uh, it's a great piece of the game because now everything's going full full circle. Would you eventually want to make in a perfect world make your way back to Europe then and uh, coach over there? Or are you are you sort of focused on staying in Canada? Uh, for the moment, I'm, I'm focused in, in Canada. Um, it's um, there have there has been opportunities uh, already. Just being back in Canada over a year and a half, there's been opportunities in Japan or uh, to go back to Europe. Um, but um, you know, in terms of my trajectory uh, around coaching, where you know the last few years in, in France, I was uh, I was Ford's coach for a top 14 team, which is the top league there, and then I was uh, general manager for a team in uh, in Provence that were in the second division. And we did very well in the, in the, in the few years I was there. And then, um, you know, getting this opportunity to come back to Canada and, and run the, uh, the academy, uh, which I was actually a part of in the late 90s, um, and also coach internationally with, uh, with the Canadian national team. Uh, I couldn't ask for a, for a bigger honor to be a part of uh, this coaching staff. Yeah. Like I said, give back to an organization that's given me so much over the years. Yeah, that's uh, that's admirable. It, you've got four World Cups, is that correct? You played in four Rugby World Cups. Yes, that's correct. Wow, what was the uh, when was the last Rugby World Cup that you participated in? How long ago? So the last World Cup uh, I participated in was in 2015. Um, I actually captained Canada during that World Cup as well. Um, so that was a, another huge honor um, and. Uh, it was a bit frustrating in that last one where we uh, we ran very close, uh, definitely against Italy, and um, you know had some uh, had some difficult difficult games, but uh, definitely enjoyed it. You know, it's uh, for me in terms of rugby, it's 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 the top of the top. You know, uh, yeah. people now that rugby's in in the Olympics, uh, that's great, but it's at the end of the day, it's sevens, and that to me, that's not really rugby. Um, the Rugby World Cup is the pinnacle of. Um, any competition in in rugby, um, and uh, you know, I was very fortunate to be involved in uh, in four of them because uh, we're uh, those of us that have been involved in four. There's uh, there's a handful of guys in the world that have been able to do that. Yeah, that's incredible. Like, what a career! So, if you were going to talk about highlights in your career, would it be the uh, wearing, winning the uh, the championship in France? I, I guess you've got a ton of them, but does one stick out for you in particular? Is there something that you look back on and you go, "This is." Sort of the pinnacle, the thing that I'm most proud of. Um, there, 
there's there's quite a few to be honest. Um, I think the biggest one for me would be my my first cap for Canada. Um, that, that being uh, those that aren't familiar with rugby, uh, your cap is uh, is anytime you represent your country, you get a cap. And normally, what happens that first game you play, you get uh, a ceremonial uh, hat, like a little little kind of beanie hat with a small brim. Um, and it normally has the, uh, the opposition and then the, the, the date of uh, that first time you play for Canada. And mine was against the United States in Chicago uh, way back in 2002. And um, it was a hugely uh, proud moment for myself, and my, for my family, and for my wife. In that, um, you know, representing your country uh, in Canada is, uh, I, th- I hope, hope, hope it's the same everywhere, but it's a very, very special moment. Um, you know, you think back of all the people that have helped you get to that point, whether it's your, your parents, your friends, your family, your club, um, you know, your opposition, your, uh, your, your club mates, your coaches, you know, everybody's kind of pushed you and, and driven you and helped you uh, along that journey. And uh, for me, that was, uh, you know, one of the, my first kind of highlight of my career. Yeah. Um, then moving to Europe, um, uh, I was uh, very fortunate to be involved in the Principality Cup in Tonathy in Wales um, in my first year professional. Um, I didn't play in that game, but I was part of the uh, part of the squad. I was very, I was a young, fresh-faced kid, fresh out of Canada, um, on basically a superstar team. I was just happy to be there along for the ride, and I had a huge amount of uh, of learnings from uh, the people I was uh, I was uh, teammates with and, and involved with. Um, and then moving into into France, the years after that, after the 03 World Cup, where I had a couple of difficult years in Grenoble, uh, you know, learning learning French, um, you know, in the new country, uh, early 2000s, there was there wasn't much in the way of you know, uh, internet or, or you know how to how to phone home. I didn't know how to phone home, so I was a bit lost out there. But um, you know, I stuck with it. Yeah. Uh, ended up uh, getting signed to uh, to ASM, the Clermont Verm, and. Um, on the uh, yeah, the second year uh, I was I was involved. Uh, we won the European Cup uh, in 2007, uh, and then from that year on, pretty much every year we were in a final of some sort. Uh, and then we won uh, the Bouclier uh, again in the, in the, sorry first first go in uh, in 2010, and and that's where kind of things got uh, really serious. Kind of 2010 to 2015 was. Uh, a lot of high quality, high pressure rugby. We're you know involved with uh, European Championship games, um, more World Cups, uh, and um, you know just uh, just having having a lot of fun. You know ripping around Europe and, and playing some uh, some high high quality rugby. And uh, you know those you look at um, the memorable moments. It's definitely that first cap with Canada, and uh, and then the. Uh, the bouclier in 2010 um and then you know there's there's a myriad of different uh, experiences around that but uh, those two definitely stand out yeah living the dream i mean i think that being able to do something that's a passion right and carrying that through life wow yeah good for you you'd uh, good kind of segue you talked um about your journey and that's what i'd like to uh ask you and you've written a, a book now about uh, your biography and it's the Jamie yeah. Cudmore story, and it's called the Sinbin, which we're going to get to. It's interesting. I think it's your style of rugby. I was I was doing some research, and 
you know, having played football, I can respect that. I respect the, you know, what what you did and how you did it. But uh, talk about your journey because you had suggested that growing up that uh, you had some challenges and uh, maybe you could talk to me about how rugby helped you and maybe some mentors in your life and, and those types of things. So yeah. go ahead. Yeah, so um, yeah, rugby uh, definitely gave me an outlet for um, a kid who was, um, you know, I couldn't really find my way, you know, I was in my in my late teen, early, early, early to mid teens where, you know, I, had, uh, I, was a, I was a bigger kid, uh, I was quite rambunctious, you know, I loved being out in the woods and ripping around on dirt bikes and hanging out with my buddies, uh, you know, growing up in Squamish in the, uh, in the kind of the, the late 80s and early 90s, it was, um, it was a lot different town than it is now. Um, it was pretty rough around the edges and, um, you know, there was, uh, there was, there was the ability to get into a bit more trouble than you really needed. Um, and I think with my rambunctiousness and, you know, over, overactive, uh, overactive kind of imagination and, uh, and, and energy, um, definitely got into a few, uh, few scrapes and, uh, in a few situations, which, uh, you know, maybe not proud of and definitely weren't good for my, uh, for my long-term kind of, you know, health or, you know, getting into, you know, the good side of life. So, um, you know, there was a time when, uh, there was a bit of trouble around, you know, some youth attention and um, you know dealing with uh, you know basically being a a kid who had a, a little bit too much energy and didn't really know where to put it um, and you know I think a, a lot of kids um, maybe listen to the podcast and that who you're involved with Dave you know there's 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 some kids that don't really fit the mold uh, into the traditional school and sit down and recite what you get taught and then right. you know, regurgitate it at the end of the month and that just wasn't me you know i uh, i enjoyed i enjoyed certain subjects in school um but uh, the whole kind of ordeal was a bit of a task for me and I, I wanted to be out in the woods and hanging out with my buddies and you know just just having fun basically so um i uh, i had some difficulties around staying in school so i uh, i started to work i started working quite 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 young and uh i got Growing up in Squamish, it's, it's, uh, it's a mill town, forestry town. Uh, obviously, a lot less so nowadays, but uh, back in those days, it was. Um, so I started working in the bush. Um, I was logging, uh, you know, kind of 15, 16 years old, ripping around in the bush most of the summers, and then into into October, November, and then I kind of get dragged back into school, and uh, and that's kind of how the whole rugby thing started. Um, my my boss at the time, a guy named Greg Richmond, who's uh, he's, a, he's a local legend up in Squamish, has run a, run a lot logging company for a long long time. But he was also the president of the local club, and he said he had heard a few few uh, you know stories of uh, me and my buddies you know being being a bit bit rambunctious, maybe uh, you know using our energies in the wrong in the wrong way. And he, yeah. and he said, listen, why don't you guys come out and play rugby on Saturday? You can get in all the all the the trouble, and you can fight all you want, but you won't get in trouble because it'll be part of the game. And I kind of thought, oh, you know, that's that's the first time I, it's the first time I've heard somebody say, you know, don't do something. You know, you can come and do that, but do it here, and it'll be in a controlled environment. So I, I thought that was quite novel at the time. That you know, I'm, you know, you're gonna let us fight. And he said, well, no, we're not exactly going to let you to fight, but you can tackle people as hard as you want, and you can run as fast as you want with a ball. So I said, okay, well, that sounds like a pretty good uh, pretty good compromise. So that's kind of where rugby started for me. And, um, 
you know, it, it, like I said earlier, it gave me this outlet for this kind of rambunctiousness, this energy that was really getting funneled into the wrong, into the wrong areas. Um, it gave me a bit of structure, you know, Tuesday, Thursday nights, we were at trainings. Uh, so you'd have to work all day and you get down to training and then you start seeing some of the other boys and they're, they're in the gym after, uh, after uh, rugby training and then they're, they're getting up the next morning early and they're going to work. And I think, oh, you know, that's, that's probably what I need to be doing. So, you know, it gave me a bit of structure around that where I would, I would work and then I'd go to the rugby training and then I'd go into the, the gym with uh, some of the other guys and, you know, kind of build myself up and, and kind of get rid of those, those, those negative waves that were uh, maybe, uh, maybe not, not helping me at that time. So um, that's kind of where, uh, where, how the whole rugby thing started and, uh, and it kind of took off from there. Did you have, um, growing up, did you have, I mean, the gentleman that you talked about, was, were there any other mentors or, or people that sort of guided you along the way? Um, well, Greg, Greg's one of them, definitely my father. You know, my father emigrated from England uh, in the 70s, and uh, he played rugby. And he wanted uh, myself and my brothers to play rugby as well, but uh, unfortunately there was just, there was no real organized sport um, in, in town at that time. You know, you had hockey, you had kind of baseball, soccer, which I did, I played soccer when I was younger, but, um, you know, as I started to get bigger and older, um, you know, early mid-teens, I was, I was a, bit, a bit of a bigger kid, so, you know, you make one tackle in soccer, and, and uh, it's, it's a yellow or a red card, and I'm thinking, well, geez, come on, I'm just, I'm just sliding in to get the ball back here, and um, that was perfect for rugby, you know, I did the same thing in rugby, and, uh, and, and everybody's patting you on the back, so I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll stop playing soccer, and uh, I'll get into this rugby a little bit more. That's perfect. I mean, I, I we talked off mic again. I, I played football. I'm not going to inject myself in this conversation, but I played uh, soccer as well, and uh, that's exactly what happened. I was I would come out. I was a goalie. I'd come out, and uh, I got I got tossed a couple of games from coming out too hard. And a football coach, but I, I wasn't your size. Let me tell you, I wasn't near your size. But that's you know, sport is an outlet, right? It gives you an opportunity. Definitely, definitely. So now, so you're playing rugby in Squamish. How did you, how did you end up in France? Like there's a huge gap there, but like, did you get noticed then? Um, I guess uh, nationally, did someone say, hey, this guy's like 6'5", 260, you know, he's the real deal. Did someone recruit you or, or how did, how did you start moving forward with that? Yeah, so it, it didn't, uh, didn't start that early. Um, as you know, I'd only been playing for about a year, year and a half. I, um, I, so what happened on the not on the rugby side but on the on the life side of things um you know squamish in, the, in those days uh, the walls were starting to close in on me you know that maybe uh i pissed off a few people and maybe burned a couple bridges uh, and um you know as i said the the walls are starting to close in on me so i had to i had to figure out you know maybe maybe move move somewhere else and try to you know start start fresh so I moved down to North Vancouver, and um, you know my mother was living down in uh, in, in in North Van, and uh, she said, "Listen, get out of Squamish, come down here, you know, keep playing rugby, get yourself a job, and and just kind of you know get out of that that small town because it, it was uh, it was it wasn't going going very well." 
So anyway, I moved. Uh, I moved from from Squamish and playing with the Axemen, and then uh, I moved to North Vancouver and I started playing for the, the Capilanos, which is where our connection came from. Um, and it was uh, it was it was awesome. It was a club full of uh, guys and girls similar age to myself, and um, they uh, you know I was I was uh, it was wide open. You know, I, I showed up at the club and everybody's the same age and they were all playing rugby and everybody's having a good time and I got instantly accepted into this massive family. And uh, it was, uh, in uh, for me, it was it was, it was was awesome. So I, I just, I kept going. I kept going, I kept playing. And um, so it went from Squamish to North Vancouver. North Vancouver, I started working, building houses, started playing rugby every week. And I continued with the routine of the Tuesday, Thursday, trainings and then going to the going to the weight room after after work and um you know playing on the weekends and i had uh, a guy who i actually worked with who had just moved back from new zealand bob bremner who was a good friend of mine and uh he's done very well through rugby and now in construction uh and he said listen jamie you've got you've got a bit about you you know you're a big boy you're strong you're fast you know it'd be great uh if you want to prolong your or kind of enhance your rugby career is uh, go down to New Zealand and, and play club rugby down there. You know, it would be it'd be very similar to, say, a New Zealander playing ice hockey, moving up to Canada to play, <laughs> you know, junior hockey. Yeah. If, if you get the, wow. the analogy. Yeah. So, so that's what I did. I, um, I sold what I had. I had, a, you know, I had a TV and a pickup truck and a few things, and I sold all that stuff off and bought myself a ticket down to New Zealand. Um, to be fair, the the Capilano Club helped me. They they gave me I think they gave me a thousand bucks to to help me on my way and and off I went. I had a hockey bag over my shoulder and I I flew down to New Zealand um, and I arrived at Auckland on a Saturday morning, six in the morning, no bags. My bags got cut off I think somewhere in Los Angeles on my way down. So I showed up with no bags and. Uh, my good friend, uh, well, now good friend, uh, Bruce, uh, picked me up. Uh, he said, oh, where's your bags? I said, oh, I think they got uh, they got disconnected. They're probably still in L.A. They should show up in a couple of days. He goes, oh, mate, uh, I thought we were going to play. Uh, I thought you were going to play today, but you got no gear. I said, oh, that's all good. We'll just see if somebody's going to lend me some boots. <laughs> so I played the same afternoon. I borrowed some boots off, uh, some boots off a, a local club mate and, uh, and played that same afternoon. And... Uh, I stayed down there for about a year, year and a half, um, working, pouring concrete, building houses, and uh, and playing rugby on the weekends. Now talk about getting thrown in the deep end. You show up, your stuff isn't there. You're playing this afternoon. What a yeah, yeah. But that yeah, was yeah, a, we went for sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, we went for breakfast. We went for breakfast, and uh, I got some gear. I got some boots that are about a size too big, but you know, I just threw in a, threw on an extra pair of socks, and uh, and we're into it. And then uh, yeah. And, uh, and a year and a half later, I I got called back to Canada. That's uh, that's pretty cool. How old were you when you uh, went down to New Zealand? So I went down. I was uh, I was nineteen when I went down, and then I uh, stayed there for about a year and a half. Um, and then I, I got a call from the from my my club captain at the time, uh, Julio uh, at uh, at Caplanos, and he said, "Listen, you've been uh, called to come back." Uh, and get in the Canadian Development Academy, the Pacific Pride, which, uh, funnily enough, I, I'm now head coach of. Um, and uh, he said, you got to come back. This is a really good opportunity for you. 
So I was I was kind of between two chairs because I was doing really well in New Zealand. I had just gotten uh, selected to a, a local under twenty one representative team, um, and uh, and I was I was enjoying the lifestyle. But um, you know, Julio was quite a uh, convincing uh, convincing guy, and he managed to get me up there. So. A week later, I was on a plane and came up uh, to Canada, and uh, I uh, integrated into the uh, Pacific Pride, the academy uh, here uh, in Victoria, and that's where rugby really took off. Um, you know, the that immersion of the rugby culture in New Zealand, and then moving up to Canada and being involved in a uh, in a high performance environment with uh, with our Canadian academy, with. Uh, uh, Mr. David Clark, who was the head coach of that in, in those days, and he was also the national team coach. So it was a similar situation to, to myself here now. Um, and he uh, he coached uh, myself and my colleagues, uh, quite a few guys that went through the Canadian national team uh, after that, and um, uh, built us built us up into into uh, not only uh, better rugby players, but uh, but better men. Good story. Good story. So your big break, getting over to Europe, how did that happen? Were you noticed then in, in international play? Is that uh, part of the story? Yeah. yeah, that's how it started. So after uh, my year in the academy uh, with, with, with Coach Clark, um, we had an end-of-the-year tour to Germany where we played some, uh, some pretty good club teams, some European club teams, and our, our final game was against the German national team as, a, as an under-23 program, and, and we beat them. So we were, uh, we were playing some really good rugby at, at the time, um, and uh, we had a great tour uh, through kind of uh, the, the southern part of Germany, northern, northeastern part of France, um, and then uh, on our way back to Canada, on the plane, uh, I was chatting with a few uh, teammates of mine and thinking, you know, oh, what are we going to do this summer? We've got the season's over. We've got a full summer ahead of us, and nobody really had anything to do. So uh, we thought we were going to hitchhike across uh, the country because um, one of the great things about rugby is uh, is you, you meet people from around the world and from around your, your own country and kind of creates uh, a, a brotherhood. Um, you know, a worldwide brotherhood of people. You know, once you play rugby with somebody, they're they're instantly your brother or your sister. So um, you know, you can call on those people uh, in times of need. And uh, so we were gonna hitchhike across the country and, and stop at all the major cities where we knew people and uh, and just uh, have a bit of an, an adventure. So we got off the plane in Vancouver, and before we went on our cross Canada trip. We, uh, we went to the UBC, um, the stadium at UBC, Thunderbird Stadium, where the, uh, the BC uh, Premiership Rugby Finals were being, uh, were being held. We thought, okay, we're going to go in, we're going to watch the game, and after that, we're, we're, on our, we're on our trip. So we watched the game, and had, had a great time, and uh, as we were walking out of the stadium, Colin and I kind of tightening up our backpacks and getting ready to go on this cross Canada tour, and uh, we crossed paths with uh, with Coach Clark. And uh, old Clarky came up to us and said, uh, "Jamie, Colin, get get your bags ready. We're going to Australia next week." And we looked at each other. We said, "Excuse me, what?" He said, "We're." Uh, he was uh, doing a um, a Canada A tour to Australia. Um, and uh, we were part of it, so uh, wow. our, our hitchhiking trip across Canada got cut short, and we uh, we were on the plane to Australia the next week, and um, and that was where you know my first kind of international experience started, 
and then the following summer i uh i got my uh my first cap with with canada with um in in chicago yes and the year after that sorry not the year after that but the, the when i talk years i talk from from august to august right i don't think of january it's season to season basically okay um so um after 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 having that that first cap against the americans i was looking uh around uh you know opportunities to go and play and i got a call from uh, a fellow uh, canadian international uh, pat dunkley who was playing professionally in wales and uh, he said listen they're looking for big strong boys with uh with european passports and uh, as my father has has uh uh, British passport, and I got one as well when I was a youngster. That uh, that opened the door for me, and uh, and that's kind of where my whole professional career uh, started um, in Europe, where I went and signed up with uh, the Tomasi uh, team in the west of Wales. Um, and the week later, I was uh, sitting in the change room with uh, guys like Scott Quinnell, Stephen Jones, Lee Davies, wow. basically the whole Welsh team, um, and. Uh, I was uh, I was just uh, I was just told to keep my mouth shut and listen and uh, and work hard and and that's what I did and uh, had a great great time in uh, in Tenerife. And the following year, I uh, I was selected for my first World Cup with Canada in the 03 World Cup. Went down to Australia, played uh, played in all four of those games and. Um, wasn't uh, wasn't re-signed in Wales because at that that time in Wales they went to um, a format of centrally contracting their players so basically what they wanted to do was only contract Welsh qualified players to help their national team and that obviously me being uh, Canadian that wouldn't uh, wouldn't be possible for me to play for another country because once you've played for your your country it's, it's impossible to play for another which which is great, you know. I think it's a right. it's a really good rule, and uh, but it, it didn't give me any uh, professional opportunities no. um, in Wales. So I started looking around, and uh, a few of the guys I played with in the World Cup in '03 uh, were already playing professionally in France, and they put out a few feelers, and um, some teams uh, saw me play, and um, and that's how I got my opportunity in Grenoble, and that's really where the uh, the whole French, um, the the whole French uh, part of the journey uh, started. Wow, that was uh, when you talk about it, the length of time and everything. Wow, what a journey, right? To and then to have a career in professional sport that uh, that extended to that, you know, that length of time. That was uh, that was something. Now, I was again, I was doing some research. You're um, you're involved in, and, and you you're a really strong advocate for. Uh, for educating people in rugby, with yeah. especially regarding head trauma, can you talk about that just a bit? Yeah, so um, that that kind of came from um, I had a really bad episode in, in 2015 where I was involved in um, in a in a major um, in a major TBI, so a traumatic brain injury. I had a, a major TBI in uh, in the semifinal of the European Cup. Uh, where I was, I came flying into a ruck at the exact same time as, as one of their, uh, my, the opposing players, and we basically came flying into this ruck and and clashed heads, uh. similar to you know two two kind of rams up in the mountains, right, butting heads, right. And, uh, it was there was there was no fault either on my on my side or his. It was just you know 
most accidents of 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 play and um I was I was severely concussed. I was uh, left on all fours. You know, I was, I was I was split open. I was I was bleeding. So I was taken off for for blood. Um, brought into the the change room. Um, I was stitched up by the doctor. Um, they, we had two doctors at uh, on that day. Uh, the other doctor realized that I wasn't I wasn't very very good. Um, you know, I was my eyes were kind of you know a bit out of whack, and I wasn't. You know, responding properly, so uh, he thought uh, that I had a, a suspected concussion. So what he did is he put me through a head injury assessment. So that's an HIA, um, that something that's been uh, put forth in rugby to uh, try to deal with uh, concussive incidents in games. Um, it's very, very, um, you know, difficult to understand the severity of, of any TBI at the best of times with a neurologist and it's uh, impossible to do in a 10 minute window uh, in the change room or on the side of a, of a pitch during a professional rugby game. So um, I was deemed by my doctor not fit to return to play. Um, so I was obviously very dejected and um, you know, I wanted to, wanted to be still involved because you know, you're as a competitor and everybody right. wants to keep playing. Yeah. I definitely wasn't educated around the dangers of, you know, second impact syndrome or, or anything, uh, you know, uh, to that ilk, because uh, you know, I was—I just wanted to get on the field and help my my teammates win the game. Um, he said, "No, you're done." Um, anyway, I sat down in the change room, very dejected, pissed off. Started taking uh, taking my my boot off, and realized uh, the doctor had come back in. He said, "Jamie, Jamie, how do you feel? How do you feel?" I said, "Oh." I feel 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 a bit better. He goes, "Well, Seb, your second row partner, he's no good." I said, "Can you come back on?" And oh. I said, "Oh yeah, yeah, of course, of course, I can come back oh, on." So I no. quickly did up my boot. I got back on, finished the game. Don't remember remember too much from the game. Um, you know, all all I remember is we we won the game. We were in the final in Twickenham uh, in two weeks' time. Um, so we won, and everybody's elated, happy. You know, a couple beers in the change room. And I, and I remember this like, you know, like it was yesterday and just being, not being able to be happy and just kind of real lethargic and kind of sitting around and, you know, just having this overwhelming uh, fatigue and wanting to, wanting to just go to bed. As soon as I closed my eyes, though, I had this buzzing behind my eyes, so I couldn't, I couldn't sleep. So anyway, we got back on the bus, we got home and um, I went and saw a neurologist on Monday um, as part of my uh, return to play. Um, one of the big things that we're advocating now is the return to play protocol is six days. And the reason it's six days is so, so that the players can be used week to week. Um, the protocol used to be three weeks and they've, the, the powers that be have minimized it to six days. And we all know why that is so that, you know, the players can be used every Saturday. Wow. So I started my return to play on the Monday um, with a neurologist, um, and as I was very symptomatic, um, he decided that we weren't going to do a six-day turnaround because the game, the next game, was only in uh, was in uh, was in two weeks. He decided we'll do a graduated return to play, and I um, and we'll we'll re reassess in uh, in ten days. So we redid the tests, and I did a graduated return to play. So it was as a Opposed to being every day, it was every second day. Right. And um, you know, I wanted to play. The doctors wanted me to play. The, the club wanted me to play. And I think it, things got quite cloudy at that time when uh, you know everybody wants to give you the green light. 
yourself included. And um, I don't think we really looked exactly, you know, quite carefully enough at, you know, the signs that were uh, probably still there. Um, because I remember lining up for the uh, the final in um, two weeks' time, and it was, um, you know, I was I, I, I remember in, in retrospect I couldn't quite get excited to for the game, and this is like this is a European Cup, so wow. it's like the, the big one of the biggest games of your career. You're in Twickenham in front of eighty thousand people, um, and it it was difficult to get excited, so. Anyway, I, I ended up uh, playing the game, um, started the game, everything went really well, we were playing well, um, until about you know, 15, 14, 15 minutes into the game, I made, uh, I made a big tackle of two guys coming through the same hole, but you know, proper technique, got low, in and under the elbows, first contact was uh, my shoulder with, uh, with you know, his kind of hip gut, uh, and I, it put me on my ass. And I kind of—I remember sitting back, looking up at the lights in Twickenham, thinking, "Wow, this is weird. I normally dominate tackles like that." Yes. Um, and uh, and I'm on my ass. And um, so the referee recognized it, called the physio over, took me off the field, and I was put through an HIA again. Um, and uh, and I was deemed uh, fit to to play on. So back on the field, continued playing. Second half, had another head knock with a with another player that uh, necessitated more and more stitches. So I had to go off for a blood sub. So while I'm getting uh, stitched up in the change room, uh, I started to get very nauseous and uh, started uh, vomiting into the uh, into the garbage can in the change room while the doc was stitching me up. Well, that's not good. Um, no, it's not. But you know, I didn't. I didn't know any of this. I didn't know that uh, you know these are telltale signs of a, of a major TBI. So um, you know, unfortunately for me at that time, you know, normally when you uh, when you vomit, you get kind of a bit of a, a rush of adrenaline, and um, and I felt bulletproof at that time. I need, I needed to go and and get back on the field. Well, the the doctor let me go, and out I went, and I finished the game, and. Um, and that started, you know, kind of two weeks of really, really heavy, heavy symptoms. Um, you know, I didn't sleep for about 10 days. Um, you know, after about the third or fourth day, my wife was uh, pretty close to committing me to a hospital. I couldn't deal with light or sound or, or anything. Uh, you know, couldn't really think clearly for more than 10, 20 seconds. It was a really, really difficult time. And, um, you know, after dealing with the club uh, in, the, in those months uh, after that and, you know, getting really, really upset with the doctors and the management in that, uh, you know, they, they didn't give me proper proper care during that time. Um, I started educating myself. My wife and I, we started educating ourselves a lot around, you know, different protocols in different sports, um, seeing the, uh, the NFL um, uh, changes where they've looked at, um, you know, contact and trainings and uh, how they deal with uh, with head injuries, um, the hockey. Spoken with a, a lot of friends doing playing pro hockey, and how the, how they've been very proactive around the uh, the head injury piece there. What what year is this when this is happening so to? This is this is 2015. Wow. Okay. So you think 2015? Most most you know in North America, and I think in in, in the UK, things were were pretty proactive around the head injury space, but. Um, France was uh, very, very far behind. That's uh, that. That goes beyond sport. Now we're not. We're talking about people's lives at stake. You know, 
Yeah, you're exactly right. So then, as we as we start to educate ourselves more and realize that in other sports um, they've made massive changes and, and things are, are starting to get better or they're trying to get better, whereas rugby at that time very much had their uh, their heads in the sand and uh, there was not enough education out there for professionals and you know let's not even talk about the amateur game because the amateur game was even worse. Um, so we decided to do something about it. We started uh, a foundation called Rugby Safety Network, and it was based around education. And uh, I would go out into rugby schools and local clubs and talk about, you know, the ins and outs of, of concussion, um, tackle technique, uh, making sure people wear mouth guards when they're doing any type of rugby. Um, Joe, just simple things to try and be proactive around the problem. Good for you. Good for you, because if it starts at the grassroots with the kids, then it's going to carry through when they get older, and, and it's going to make the game in the long run safer. But good for well, you for doing that. That's exactly it, because we knew that the kids on the weekend, they're watching the professionals do this, and they're going to want to do like the professional suits. So if the professionals come back on 10 minutes later, well, the kids are going to try to do that, even though it's, it's not allowed. So hence why we wanted to do a bit of a lot of work on the on the on the social media side and the, and the media side on the top, and then help help educate from the bottom so that those kids coming through the grassroots have uh, have got all the tools at their disposal. Well, congratulations on that. That's a that's a huge undertaking. But you know what? When you think about it, the the benefits and what you're able to provide for for the kids and then for the future of rugby. I mean, that's that that allows the sport to continue as opposed to having so many injuries and people start questioning whether or not you know their children and young adults should be playing good for you for doing that that's outstanding so do you have any do you have any side effects as a result of this today like are you, do you have post uh, like post concussion trauma at all or um it's, it's hard to say i i work with um uh, a doctor out of UBC, Dr. Howard, and, and Dr. Colin. Dr. Collins a neuro uh, a, a neurological psychiatrist. Psych, psychiatrist. Um, and you know, I've, I've I, I questioned myself over the last few years, uh, definitely around. Um, I've got some issues around noise, uh, uh, sharp staccato noises, anything behind me. Uh, I really struggle with any like loud noise behind me. Uh, if I'm in a, in a restaurant, you know, where there's music playing, there's lots of people talking, and I'm trying to maybe engage in conversation with somebody else, that can be that can be quite uh, quite fatiguing. Um, but um, you know, in terms of like cognitive ability, speech, uh, memory, and stuff like that, I'm in in all the tests that I've done, I'm I'm, I'm tracking very well, um, especially considering you know I think over over my life I've probably had you know well well close to you know you know 80 90 100 concussions oh. um it's um it's been uh in in dr howard's words it's it's almost like i'm made to get concussions um i can i can i can recover very quickly from most injuries and i've been very fortunate um in that you know all the, the concussions i have succumbed from i've, I've recovered fully and um, you know, I'm hoping that uh, you know CD and all that type of stuff is, is not going to show up in uh, in my brain. But who's to, who's to, who's to say what what will happen in the future? Right. That's uh, yeah. That's not a comforting thought. But you're going about all the things that you need to do to ensure that other people's journey isn't going to uh, is going to sort of happen the same way yours is. Uh, 
Jamie, you know what? This has been an awesome talk. I've learned a lot about rugby. Uh, certainly your journey, it's inspiring. You know, it's motivational. And just, just the way, and the big thing for me being a teacher is what you're giving back. I mean, that, that's, that's enormous. And I, I can't say enough. Um, as far as, you know, from a coach and a teaching perspective to give back to the community and, and the young people is just, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's awesome. So listen, um, I'm just going to tell the listeners, you, uh, you got to pick up his book. I've ordered it on Amazon. It's, uh, the, is it called the Jamie Cudmore story? The sin bin, is that correct? Did I label that right? Yeah, that's the, uh, that's Canadian version in, uh, in French, it's, uh, presumé coupable. So that's, um, presumed guilty in, in English. But uh, yes, it's uh, my life in the sin bin uh, in, 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 in Canada here. And uh, yeah, by all means, uh, check it out. Yeah, no, it's going to be a great read. So listen, I want to wish you all the best. Thanks a lot for taking the time. And uh, you know what? Hopefully we, uh, we get to talk again. I'd love to do a follow-up, especially... Now, you had said again that you're going to... Uh, you're off mic. You're, you're writing a second book or you're just doing an extension of this book, like Your Life in Canada? Yeah, I'm gonna. We're gonna add on, so it'll be an extension to uh, to the uh, to the one that's on, that's online right now. As uh, there's been a lot of things that have happened, you know, our, our voyage back uh, back to Canada, which um, is, is actually a funny little excerpt. We uh, we came back from France uh, on a uh, on a cruise ship. That's how we got home as a family. So uh, that was that was a pretty pretty fun story. Um, we uh, we got off the boat in St. John's and just walked straight off the boat, threw the bags in the back of the uh, the, the father-in-law's truck, and that's how we got back to Canada. No passport control, no nothing. <laughs> so it was uh, it was pretty pretty funny uh, how we got back to to the country, and uh, now we're back here on the west coast, and we're we're definitely enjoying it. Is the transition easy for you? Do you I mean, from Europe to here, lifestyle and everything? Um, no, it's it hasn't been too easy. I, I'll tell you. The, the cost of living here on the West Coast is, uh, oh, yeah. is, is quite difficult, and uh, trying to find good good organic food is, is also a challenge. But um, you know, it's uh, it's it's green, it's stable, and uh, it's it's Canada. At the end of the day, we're uh, we're very fortunate to be home. Yeah, great words, Jamie. I can't uh, express how much I appreciate this. All the best to you in the future. All right. Thank you very much, Dave. Yeah, I'd be happy to do a follow up if you want. And, oh, for uh, sure. I hope everybody enjoyed it. All right. Thanks a lot, Jamie. You take care. All right. You too, Dave. That'll be it for today's episode. Once again, we'd really like to thank Jamie Cudmore for coming on and sharing some of his insights with us. This is Nathan Rivers with Dave Rizicki. Please take care, be well, and as always, peace. Peace.